0: Podcast listeners, welcome to the NK News Podcast. I'm your host, Jacko's Wetsloop. Today it is Monday, November 7th, 2022, and after a heavy week of missiles and exercises and all sorts of excitement, I'm joined here in the studio by three members of the NK News and NK Pro team to discuss some of the recent news story out of and about North Korea, including last month's Month in Review. Uh, but Before we get started, just a reminder, please, everybody, leave a review about this episode wherever you found it, whether that's on iTunes, uh, YouTube, Spotify, Audible, or any other platform, and make sure you share this episode uh, with people on your social media so that we can get some more listeners there. We're still hoping, I haven't mentioned it for some months, but I'm still hoping to get 1% of Joe Rogan's listenership before I die. Um, it's, a, uh, it's a modest goal. Uh, now, secondly, check out NK News, where you can find all the in-depth stories written by the excellent journalists who are around me today. Consider buying a subscription if you get the one-year plan that is actually less than a dollar a day, very affordable, and that helps to fund the excellent work that my journalistic colleagues here put out each and every single day. Thirdly, you can follow us on Twitter, each of our handles will be in the show notes, and NKnewsorg is the general one for the whole platform. So, to introduce our three guests on the round table today, we have my colleagues and round table veterans Jongmin Kim and James Fretwell, and for his NK News podcast debut, our newest team member Shreyas Reddy. Welcome on the show, everyone!
1: Ooh, thanks, thanks for, for having, having us. us.
0: Okay, well, first of all, Jongmin, we've got to start with you because what the heck has been happening in and from North Korea for the last week or two? It's it's just been uh, I've lost count of everything. So really, give us a bit of a summary. What kind of missiles and how many have been flown off by North Korea?
2: Well, a lot was happening in the past few weeks, especially last week. Um and especially last Wednesday when it, we saw the record number of North Korean missiles just flying everywhere, basically. Um just a very I'm trying to keep it brief. <laughs> uh <laughs> yeah, I may have to ish interrupt. summary. Mm-hmm. Quick ish summary. I'm just gonna put it chronologically so um, it's a bit clearer. Um, in total uh, in the past week, um, there were at least 33 missiles that North Korea fired.
0: 33.
2: Yes. And that is South Korean side's calculation, um, assessment. And just this morning, there was a, um, North Korean state media side of the story. And it sounded like, uh, the, the missile count was a little bit different, but South Korean side is, um, and continuing to say that their count is the right version so i'm just going to go ahead with it
0: oh, so what number did north korea give then
2: i think maybe there were a bit few more and then the types were a bit different because uh-huh. in south korean side there was no mention of anything about cruise missiles uh but north korean side said that they also dropped two cruise missiles into uh somewhere near near the the sea of ulsan it seems ulsan, but, okay right but it's, Which is it's way
0: south in south korea yeah all right.
2: On Wednesday, there were twenty, at least 23 missiles on both the east and west coast. And this was, I think the context here is very important because it was just two days after South Korea and the U.S. started Vigilant Storm, the large-scale air drills that involved F-35Bs at first, and then after extension, they also brought in the B-1B bombers that North Korea really, really hates. Okay, hold
0: on, slow down. So Vigilant Storm, that's the name for the latest exercise? Yes,
2: it used to be uh, Vigilant Ace in the past, and then during the Moon administration, they changed it to a very generic name, and then they changed it back to Vigilant Storm and increased, uh, and they made it into a more larger scale, um, 1,600 sorties throughout the week, day and night, 24-7, 24-5 actually. And then North Korean side issued a statement about you guys better stop this or y- you'll get into trouble. Mm-hmm. And then they brought us trouble basically, which started on Wednesday. Just to continue on what happened on mm. Wednesday, um, early morning we were woken up to four SRBMs from North Pyongan, which well, was. What's the
0: arrogance? Uh, uh,
2: sorry, SRBM is short-range ballistic missiles. Ah. That's the the type that we saw the most throughout three days. And then around two hours later, 8.50, we saw three more SRBMs into the East Sea. And this was one of the uh, uh, problematic ones. One uh, from South Koreans' story of things. One fell in the international waters off of South Korea's eastern coast, and it also breached a northern limit line, the one that prompted alert in Ulundu, one of the islands on the east coast um east sea
0: wait did you say it splashed down in international waters or within south korea's exclusive economic zone
2: uh it's unclear it's unclear but when we counted it sounds like it was in the uh exclusive economic zone but uh-huh. south koreans um went for explanations in international waters near territorial waters. so it sounds like easy but plus. does the
0: nll go into international waters but,
2: so that's the unclear part uh-huh. right um, but but uh, I think South Koreans wanted to also make a point that it was the first time that uh, a North Korean missile uh, went south of NLL since the Korean Peninsula Division.
0: Which in that time, I mean, North Korea did not have missiles, right? Exactly. So since North Korea has developed missiles, this is the first time they've... Shot one in the southern direction.
2: Right. It seems like from that messaging, uh, South Korean uh, presidential office definitely gave it a bit of a dramatic effect, saying that it's also they also linked it to how North Korea did all these missile tests during South Korea's mourning period after the ten twenty nine um, disaster um, in Itaewon that claimed lives of more than one hundred fifty people.
0: North Korea never gave a more uh, a message of sympathy about that, did Not it? Not that we know of. Okay.
2: And then um, after that three SRBMs, including the ulungdo uh, alert one, there were at least 10 more SRBMs and surface-to-air missiles, both seas again. And then shortly afterwards, around two hours later, South Koreans that also um, responded with their jets firing precision air-to-surface missiles okay. into the international waters off north of nll so it's a principle of proportionality Uh so they did something similar after they saw north korean missiles uh, breaching the nll and then north korea also followed up in the afternoon with 100 shots of artillery into the inter-korean maritime buffer zone this would have been breaking news a few weeks earlier but they did it multiple times in the past few weeks so it wasn't that much of a news compared to others. right? And then in the afternoon, uh, sometime between 4.30 and 6.30, there were six more surface-to-air missiles in both coasts. So total, on Wednesday, it was at least um, 23 missiles. And all of these follow top North Korean military official Park Jong-chun issuing the statement um, saying the Vigilant Storm is very, very aggressive. Mm -hmm. Does
0: this suggest anything new about North Korea's missile control systems that it, it's it, it's able to fire such a large amount in such a short space of time. Does this suggest a new level of technology that we're unaware of?
2: Well, it was um, I think it was one of the recent trends in the past few months. Um South Koreans uh, explained this or, Um, describe this as a mixed launching, uh, mixing different types of ballistic missiles or different types of missiles at the same time simultaneously on both coasts or different regions. And it seems like it's part of the reason why they are doing it is to make sure that South Korean kill chain doesn't work that well and that it's shown as not that reliable because Mm -hmm. the whole idea of South Korean kill chain is to strike the origin yep. meaning missile base before right. it flies and detecting it properly but you know what um if they're doing like this it would be very very difficult to in, for the intel to figure out if it's a test or an actual attack
0: okay so that is quite significant you did a story about south korea trying to fish up pieces of the uh, the north korean missile the water that uh, from the waters near ulungdo where it came down
2: Yes, um, this could be, if, if they succeed, this could be a, a massive um, knowledge um, a, a, a to South Korean intel, especially considering how North Korea has been firing a lot of new type uh, solid fuel, mm-hmm. um, ballistic missiles as well. And just this morning, just in, of uh, an hour ago, they did succeed in okay. fishing up some of the remnants. Some of? Some of the remnants. Okay, so it's, it's
0: in pieces... We presume. Right, it seems.
2: So last time it happened was, um, I believe, 2016, when uh, North Korea fired a long-range missile, and some parts of the first stage of North Korea missile that exploded after launch, they did fish it up, but it was much closer to the coast, um, where it wasn't that much of a deep ocean. This time it was deep, but it seems like South Korea... Um, succeeded in doing that but um, there's no more information on that um, right. unfortunately
0: but then they may be able to reverse engineer and find out some exactly, things from exactly exactly okay. right. uh, and
2: just to add on a little bit just very quickly i talked mm-hmm. about wednesday missiles and on thursday there were uh, six more and th- three more in the morning uh, late night there were three and then there were more artilleries Friday, no missiles, but 180 trails of North Korean warplanes. Yes. Now North Korea is saying that it was actually 500 jets. We have no way to verify that, okay, but, but they let, are saying let,
0: that. Hold off on the planes. I want to come back to that. Uh, just to the missiles again. Were there any more missiles from North Korea fired over Japan?
2: Uh, yeah, so one of the, one of the I think, Thursday, um, what's that Thursday missile? Yeah, uh, Thursday morning missile. It actually started off with a long-range ballistic missile one um and japan thought it already um it is going to or already have flown uh, across its airspace mm. so there was an uh, evacuation alert for people in japan wow. and then it turns out that it was an icbm according to south korean military it was an icbm that failed mid air um so it it didn't cross ah. um when now when you say territory. failed that means it
0: broke up or blew up or
2: um it failed um yeah, it basically means blew up. Okay, um, and it w- it splashed down.
0: And I think also one of the South Korean missiles that it th- the surface air to surface missiles uh, failed too, didn't it?
2: Right, um, it was Chunghung, South Korean interceptor missile. We call it MSAM. Ah. and um, it's actually a crucial part of South Korea's KAMD, which is one part of three. Um, pillar system uh, korean air
0: missile defense
2: yes and um chungung is a homegrown missile and Uh as far as i know there is no known uh, case of it being blown up but ironically this news came up in the same day that north korean icbm also exploded oh um, but it turns out Gung was exploded a day earlier during an air competition that was held by the Air Force. And then they were firing it. And then what happens with Gung is that if the connections lost between the radar and the missile for a certain amount of time, they self-explode. Ah. So that's what happened.
0: Okay, but that was during a competition, you said. Yeah. It was not part of the... Uh,
2: not part of Vigilant Storm.
0: Sh- Vigilant Storm or South Korea responding to North Korean missiles by firing over the MLL. Right, right. It a separate right. thing entirely. Okay. So back onto these planes here, uh, 180 North Korean Air Force planes in the air, but North Korea said it was, what, 500? 500. Does North Korea have that many planes, and does North Korea have enough fuel to fuel that many planes?
2: Well, that's a big question mark, right? Well, there's two of uh, them. <laughs> and we are planning to write an analysis on it. If you are if you are wondering the uh, answer to that, we will write an analysis. Check out nknews.org.
0: Excellent. All right. Check it out there. And uh, last question before we move on to James. Uh, Jong-min, as our senior Seoul correspondent, someone who's looked at North Korea for several years, did last week feel particularly dangerous to you? I mean were you stocking up on ramion and water at home?
2: Well, not as far as that, but um it uh, not just as a journalist who covered this um, beat, but also as just a South Korean who was born and raised here. It did seem like... Uh, an increasing risk of accidental clash between South Korea and North Korea not just last week but following uh, the the weeks in advance as well but last Wednesday and Thursday was definitely that it was not just that North Korea was just firing these missiles but also they were framing that very directly as against the U.S. and South Korea already planned Mm -hmm. um, drills that would that was happening near the Korean peninsula and it became some sort of a on news that North Korea is now breaching the inter korean maritime buffer zone mm. so after 2018 when we have not seen either Korea's breaching that that uh, maritime buffer zone and, and now South Korea and North Korea both are doing something that goes around it a little bit uh, to me it it, it looks like um, it's definitely an escalation cycle although this morning it seemed like North Korea was trying to dial it down a little bit um, framing it as a a uh, dated uh s- certain um it, it was like a planned military action sort of thing rather than just all, all always responding right but to me it did look like if anyone makes a small mistake it could easily become a a military clash that we saw in the uh, like worst escalation cycle in the past
0: right gosh okay well thanks for that Jungmin. moving on to james In your month in review for October, you included some news about Japan's involvement in previous uh, exercises. So back on October the 10th, there were some trilateral naval exercises uh, with the the U.S., the Republic of Korea, and Japan. Give us the rundown of that. So
3: let's go a little bit back to the end of September, actually, um, when the U.S., South Korea, and Japan were conducting trilateral uh, anti-submarine drills Mm. uh, near the east coast of the Korean Peninsula. And uh, around this time, uh, the U.S. and South Korea were also conducting naval drills, um, which the USS Ronald Reagan aircraft carrier was a part of. Those drills wrapped up. Um, The Ronald Reagan uh, went on its way. And then North Korea launched its new uh, intermediate-range ballistic missile over Japan. That causes a lot of panic, obviously. And the Ronald Reagan actually comes back. It changes its schedule. It comes back for more military drills. And this is what um, happened in October. There were more uh, trilateral um, naval drills with the U.S. So, uh, so there were extras, Japan.
0: unplanned, as it were.
3: Right. Yeah. And uh, these drills were report um, were focused on detecting mm. uh, the North Korean missiles.
0: Now, what uh, just give us a little bit of detail on uh, Japan's role and extent within those exercises.
3: Um so all the the details that we have they were um as I said they were focused on detecting, tracking and intercepting North Korean missiles which is obviously a big deal at the moment because North Korea is firing off a lot of missiles uh over Japan toward uh, South Korean waters, et cetera, et cetera. So cooperation between those three countries is going to be really key in uh, preventing um, North Korea from doing a lot of damage.
0: Did at any stage Japanese ships enter into Korea's exclusive economic zone or territorial waters?
3: Um, I'm not totally sure, but I think it was international waters near the east coast of the peninsula. All right. Now, the opposition Democratic Party, the party of
0: former President Moon Jae-in and unsuccessful presidential candidate Lee Jae-myung, criticizes Japan's involvement in these trilateral exercises. What's the basis for their criticism? Um,
3: well, obviously, there are a lot of deep-rooted historical um, uh, differences, shall we say, between South Korea and Japan over the latter's uh, colonial rule of the peninsula. And these differences still Um, have big impacts on the even the security environment to this day you might think well uh, all these countries Japan the US South Korea they have the same uh, or similar security interests um, uh, concerning North Korea but uh, for example uh, Japanese troops are not part of the uh, UN command which is on the peninsula due to the um, colonial rule issue they are part of um, UNC rear which would support soldiers coming into the peninsula in the event of, the, of a war but they're not directly involved mm-hmm. on the peninsula um now uh lee jenmyung who is uh the leader of the opposition party he he said that these drills are dangerous because it could be uh you know like interpreting japan's self-defense forces as as an as an official military he's described them uh, as a pro japanese act uh, and he added that they um that people in south korea don't want uh, to be moving towards this uh, idea of a, a trilateral alliance between the us south korea and japan now i don't think uh, the yun song yo uh, administration is is planning to go quite that far at the moment. But it was a big um, thing that the current president wants to do is to mend relations with Japan somewhat so that he can get all three sides on the same page um, concerning North Korea.
0: But if, as you suggest, uh, the Japanese ships merely stayed in international waters without entering Korea's EEZ, then that, that's, it seems like the criticism is a bit hyperbolic, doesn't it?
3: Um, well, in, in, if that's where they stay, then I suppose so. Um, but of course the concern is where do we, you know, what, what's the direction, where are we going from here? How, how far is this going to, uh, is this cooperation going to go? Um, and remember the, one of the big issues between Japan and South Korea is actually over the, um, small islands of Dokdo or Takashima, as, as they say in Japanese, this is, um, territory that South Korea currently has, but Japan also claims Um, So a lot of South Koreans probably don't want the Japanese Navy floating around in Korean waters. Um, They don't want more of that military presence in the area. um, And that's going to be one of the big reasons.
0: Now, this appeal to uh, nationalism and historical fear in South Korea that the flag of the rising sun may somehow flutter once again over the Korean Peninsula. Is that really realistic? I mean, it seems like at least in the past, it was an easy dog whistle to blow in South Korea to whip up broad-based anti-Japanese sentiment. But I wonder whether that's past its heyday now.
3: Well, remember, only a few years ago during the moon years, there were um, big anti-Japanese uh, boycott movements like the No Abe movement uh, around 2019. Uh, so, you know, you might think that maybe these comments are a bit extreme. Is Japan really planning on, on reinvading the peninsula? But I do think um, the, the sentiments do stir up strong feelings still even today Mm -hmm. um however north korea's continued missile launches i think are going to make the case Mm -hmm. um for enhanced cooperation with with the uh shall we say original enemy japan that case is going to become um much stronger going forward um however again adding another however into Mm -hmm. the mix um there's still the ongoing issue of wartime forced labor and compensation for the koreans that were that were forced to work in um by japanese com- uh, companies during world war ii now um that's still ongoing and it seems like there were there were reports citing citing sources by kyoto i think that um suggested that maybe um south korean the the south korean government is planning on creating some kind of funds to compensate these workers now as i understand it these workers um the victims of the forced labor want uh you know it's about the money to some extent but they want japan to apologize and they want japan to be compensating them so basically the point is if this situation erupts again and the south korean public is disappointed with the way the insonial government uh, has handled this situation then we could see another big surge of anti-Japanese sentiments just around the corner.
0: Keeping the focus on Japan, uh, in your month in review, you mentioned that Tokyo has sanctioned and frozen the assets of five North Korean companies, and that made me wonder, were there
3: North Korean companies operating in Japan and with assets worth seizing? So the companies that were sanctioned by Japan, um, these companies have already been sanctioned by the US, one of them was sanctioned by the UN, Um, South Korea also announced some new sanctions. Uh, I think at this point, a lot of uh, outside observers might say, you know, it's it's great that um, (laughs) we're we're sanctioning North Korean companies. We're putting pressure on North Korea financially. But maybe the issue is more to do with implementation than the actual scope of the sanctions themselves. Um, As for North Korean companies operating in Japan, I mean I th- I think I'll leave that one to our NK news reporters and the uh you know the the UN panel of experts reports that we um uh, that we we sometimes report on as well um to go into the specifics on on that one I don't want to go around <laughs> accusing uh whoever of of doing uh something okay so you you don't
0: have any uh, names of companies or uh, types of businesses to share with us today then Unfortunately not okay. no uh, on a related topic, the uh, North Korean Lazarus Hacking Group has been accused of years of cyber attacks against Japanese blockchain firms. It's always difficult to make an attribution or find a, a point of origin of these kinds of uh, hacks and attacks. What can you tell us about this?
3: So this was an announcement by uh, Japanese law enforcement in October that um, North Korea has uh, stolen millions uh, worth in cryptocurrency and this is related to the Lazarus groups. As you say, it's always difficult to, um, you know, 100% nail down who exactly is doing this. But that's the conclusion that they came to. Um, and North Korea is well known for cyber attacks and trying to fund its WMD development um, through cyber attacks and cryptocurrency. Um Japan is not on the best of terms with North Korea. So in many ways, um, there's no disincentive for North Korea not to try and do this against uh, against Japanese cryptocurrency holders. Okay, thank you, James. All right, Shreyas ready?
0: you are new to the NK News team, but you've been working on North Korea related reporting for a while. Tell us how you became involved in that.
1: So to be honest, it is largely down to fortune and some very unexpected choices along the way. Uh, my background isn't really in the media mm. or originally in uh, Korea-related activities. I uh, graduated in with a degree in aerospace engineering and then studied innovation and technology management. So my focus was always more on technology. But somewhere down the line, I became more personally interested in all things Korean and tried to take that forward. And as I went further down that rabbit hole, a friend alerted me to an opening in BBC Monitoring's bureau in India, uh, where they were looking for someone to cover the the Korean Peninsula. And so that was my somewhat accidental journey into Hmm. this. And over time, I got more and more into the North Korea side of things. Uh
0: A degree in aerospace engineering. Indeed. Okay, yeah. so you can legitimately uh, make the old joke, this is not rocket science, or this is rocket science.
1: Uh, absolutely, but sometimes rocket science feels easier than well, trying to I, decipher North Korea. I can
0: imagine. Now, now, tell us a little bit about the uh, the functional mission of BBC Monitoring and what your job was there, because some of our listeners may not have heard of it.
1: Right. So, BBC Monitoring is a subscription-based service which operates within the wider BBC, And it focuses on monitoring uh, local media around the world to see how they cover major international and regional stories and events and analyze what that says about the situation in that part of the world as well as in the wider context. It's been around essentially since the days of the Second World War Mm. but operates somewhat differently from the regular news side of things. Within BBC Monitoring, my core responsibility was as a researcher I was looking at key people and organizations in several countries across Northeast Asia, Southeast Asia, and the Pacific. Uh, But alongside uh, investigating these uh, aspects, I also got to build up a lot of in-depth subject knowledge, which I put to use in producing more analytical pieces and products of different kinds about the region.
0: So were you being paid to watch North Korean television?
1: Uh, Yes, effectively.
0: That is a fascinating job. I'm sure there are some, uh, some people out there uh, who, would, uh, who would love a job like that. And now you're here as part of the NK News team. How does it feel so far?
1: Definitely great so far, like excited and a little nervous for sure. Uh, but the team has been uh, very welcoming and I've often admired them and the work that, uh, the, that NK News does. So I'd always known that I wanted to come here. At some stage, I wanted to get to work alongside them and learn from them. Mm. So uh, still early days here and still getting used to the way things are done. But looking forward to kicking on from here and doing a lot more.
0: Excellent. Any quick response there, James, Jongmin?
2: Uh, for me, uh, he sits right next to me. Uh-huh. and. I'm so glad that he came here um, before all the missile weeks <laughs> and potential nuclear weapons tests. Um, yeah, I, yeah. That, no worries. I'm so happy that he's here. So <laughs>
0: you're, you're a very welcome member of the team. I, I like.
1: should also add the disclaimer that I made sure that I I uh, landed up with plenty of food and gifts just to get myself into everyone's good books.
0: That's right. You have ingratiated yourself. Uh, my wife received the uh, the notebook that you gave last week with, uh, with gratitude, and I'm uh, enjoying the bookmark. So thank you very much. Uh, So let's talk about your first published story here at NK News, uh, titled, U.S. says it will use full range of capabilities to defend ROK, including nukes. Tell us about that.
1: Well, it was essentially about a U.S. State Department spokesperson uh, reaffirming uh, President Biden's commitment to defending South Korea by all means at Washington's disposal, Mm -hmm. including the potential use of nuclear weapons. But... They did not specify further details about how these would be deployed or what this would mean.
0: Okay. Did anything said in that press briefing feel new to you or was it uh, pretty much a repetition of earlier statements?
1: Well, so to be honest, the entire job of the spokesperson and uh, briefings like this is to avoid saying anything new, to essentially try and reiterate uh, existing State Department talking points. So they kind of focused on just giving generic statements, but at the same time, there's always more to look into.
0: Uh, has North Korea made any uh, verbal statement in response to these remarks?
1: Not specifically to these remarks, but the North Korea has long maintained its objection to the idea of uh, the possibility of US nuclear assets in the Korean Peninsula. Mm-hmm. And I think they've always been very clear that when they uh, talk about denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula from North Korea side, that means also having no U.S. nuclear presence anywhere near here. So Or anywhere they, in the world, yeah, perhaps. So no new statements as such. Mm-hmm. But I guess we certainly have seen other kinds of North Korean escalations and reactions.
0: Right, uh, such as the uh, well, the, the missiles that we were talking about earlier with, uh, with Jong-un. Exactly. Now, right. U.S. ambassador to South Korea, Philip Goldberg, was reported in your article saying at a forum in Seoul that the US and South Korea would respond to North Korean provocations with determination, resolve and extended deterrence. That was in mid-October. Since those remarks were made, I think we can safely say that we have seen some provocative acts by North Korea, such as these missiles that we talked about uh, into the uh, South Korean Exclusive Economic Zone, perhaps, or even into international waters in the direction of Ulungdo Island. Have the U.S. and South Korea responded with determination, resolve, and extended deterrence, as you see it?
1: Well, I guess the key word in that se- question is uh, responded, and I think as Jongmin pointed out earlier, this is the way the U.S. and South Korea would approach, is, uh, approach this. Is that the vigilance Storm exercise, mm-hmm. for example, was something that had been planned months ago. Right. It has been something that was al- already on the agenda as a general course of action to ensure. Uh, the stability in the Korean Peninsula to uh, improve their joint responses when dealing with North Korea but so it perhaps is you you'd say it isn't necessarily an immediate response Mm -hmm. but at the same time it is part of a wider pattern of the U.S. and South Korea trying to make sure that they work together more and more to be able to counter North Korea in the in the event of missile tests and other escalations such as what we saw over the past week.
0: Right. So increasing the state of readiness, as they call it. Exactly. Right. Now, this story also uh, mentioned a trend that we've been seeing lately, which which calls for South Korea to either develop its own nuclear weapons or buy them, or for the U.S. to deploy tactical nukes on the Korean Peninsula again. Have you seen any sign yet that this idea is receiving serious consideration by the U.S. side?
1: So the U.S. government has avoided commenting directly on the possibility of deploying uh, tactical nukes to the Korean Peninsula. Uh, It has repeatedly stressed, particularly in the last few weeks, that in its uh, efforts to contain, to counter North Korea, Uh, it is uh, willing to leave the nuclear option on the table, but it does not specify where Mm -hmm. it will deploy those assets or how.
0: Right. Okay. Well, uh, let's turn to Jongmin and continue on that theme, talking about uh, South Korea's nuclear weapons. We have now conservatives from the ruling People's Power Party who not only want to scrap the recent uh, 2018 inter-Korean military agreement signed between former President Moon and Kim Jong-un, but they also want to go back and scrap the 1991 joint inter-Korean declaration committing to keeping the Korean Peninsula nuclear-free. Tell us about that.
2: Well, yes. Um, Although it was just a couple of lawmakers and people power party at first, um, it was uh, echoed by a lot more in coming weeks and um, the The people who started this conversation were... Chung Jin-suk, the deputy speaker of the National Assembly, and also Kim gi uh, a very powerful lawmaker in People Power Party. So their basic claim is, um, just to provide you context a little bit, People Power Party have been increasing voices on how South Korea needs to need self empowerment when it mm-hmm. comes to nuclear weapons, and this implies that they don't really trust U.S. extended deterrence. Um, reading between the lines, so it was in and of itself a bit controversial because they were supposed to be like very pro-U alliance sort of people. But then they started that conversation after North Korea updated the nuclear doctrine law, basically allowing, um, justifying preemptive strikes against other countries, including South Korea. And some lawmakers, including Chong Jin-seok, started talking about how there are some documents and conversations in the past decades that is sort of Uh, blocking the bandwidth of South Korea, empowering um, itself with more defense assets, including nuclear weapons. Mm. And they have been starting to refer back to the 1991 Joint Declaration, first ever and only important document that was signed in detail about how to denuclearize the Korean Peninsula. So the phrase denuclearization of Korean Peninsula basically comes from that document Uh because the logic is Um, both Koreas would not have nuclear weapons. We won't deploy it. We won't proliferate it, Mm -hmm. so on and so forth. There are principles laid out in that declaration. And so far, the reason why South Korea has been pushing so much for the term uh, denuclearization of Korean Peninsula uh, was basically based on that document from Seoul's point of view, saying we don't have it, so you should not have it sort Mm -hmm. of logic. But what South Korean lawmakers on the conservative sides are now saying is that we kind of need it. Um, and that declaration is getting in our way a little bit, so maybe it's time we review it and scrap it. And mm-hmm. that came out from all the conversation about whether or not the 2018 CMA, Comprehensive Military Agreement, has to stay. And that d- and that conversation sort of rippled into the idea about 1991 declaration getting scrapped as well.
0: Yeah, under that uh, 2018 CMA, uh, Comprehensive Military Agreement, um, the firing of... North Korean missiles across the NLL into South Korean waters and then the firing of South Korean air-to-surface missiles in the opposite direction, th- that doesn't seem to be in keeping with that 2018 agreement.
2: Right, so that's the whole thing. Uh, it looks like it's some sort of chicken game mm. on who says it first, although in action they are actually breaching them. Um, of course, North Korean side breached it first and they breached it multiple, multiple times. And um, South Korea only did it in response to it uh, just that one occasion where they fired the missile um, um, north of NLL. Mm-hmm. But um, it, there were actually a lot of noise about um, whether or not we should announce that the inter-Korean military agreement has been discarded first because mm-hmm. it's a, it's two separate things to breach a deal that has been signed right. and announcing that the deal is um
1: Null and void. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
2: it's annulled. Because um, some experts have been saying that there's no benefit for South Korea to say it out loud first. Mm -hmm. Because when time comes, when the cycle comes back to inter-Korean negotiation and Mm -hmm. improving relations, North Korean side, if South Korea announces it first, that they are scrapping the deal, North Korea may be able to be on, have the leverage to say that, hey, you guys breached it first, uh, you guys scrapped it first, so, we want more, or something like that but,
0: but uh, that would seem to be i don't forgive me if I'm using a too harsh a word here, but a little bit hypocritical because North Korea has quite a track record of tearing up agreements and announcing the null the the voidness oh gosh, what's the right now nullification. nullification nullification of of so many agreements, including the uh, the armistice between mm-hmm. the, the two sides uh the non proliferation right. treaty. Um, all of these things. So, has North Korea not yet uh, announced that the 2018 agreement is null and void?
2: So that's another gray area. It depends on where you stand and oh. how you interpret things. But there were in two th- if you remember, in 2020 June, when the there was like a peak of escalation in in the uh, uh, well, like two years ago. Is it when, when they
0: blew up the building, yes, yeah. the liaison building? Right,
2: mm-hmm. and that there at the time there were some statements referring to the agreement as. Um, not effective anymore, but there were kind of rhetorical. So I think people mm. weren't. Some people weren't taking that as North Korea announcing that they're discarding it, but some people took it as it is. Um, I see. And and some people have also interpreted this as North Korea already having discarded it mm. by looking at its activities, just breaching them.
0: What about the 1991 agreement? Has North Korea ever said, um, you know, uh, verifiably and and uh, and clearly that that agreement is now nulled?
2: usually north korean side i think in, in propaganda let's say use it as a justification to say that there shouldn't be any um, nuclear weapons deployment or development in south, on south korean side rather than about their own nuclear weapons
0: okay so they still mention the 2000 the 1991 agreement from time right to like now.
2: if we look at the um, nuclear doctrine law yeah. uh, if you look at the language about non proliferation they are actually reusing a lot of 1991 hmm. document talking about the responsibility as a nuclear weapon state rather than Uh, But then their ultimate objective, they do cite denuclearization, but not denuclearization of North Korea, but denuclearization of the world. Mm.
0: Now, what's been President Yoon's stance on uh, the inter-military agreement and on the possibility of South Korea going nuclear, both uh, during his uh, electoral campaign and after his uh, inauguration
2: So during the election campaign I think it depends on like which occasion you're looking at but if you look at the debates that he was doing against uh, the rival at the time Yi jae he was actually mentioning a lot of ideas about tactical nuclear weapons like using US tactical nuclear weapons having more say about it and so on and so forth um other uh, election candidates at the time also talked about redeployment uh, but after he was inaugurated he stuck to this um he he said. Uh, it seems like he decided to re keep reusing this uh, uh, this line about South Korea uh, holding on to the Non Proliferation Treaty regime to the end of the day. So his official line is no tactical nuclear weapons on the Korean Peninsula. But there were some media reports in the past month about the presidential office um, behind the doors reviewing option. Uh, like worst-case scenario option about uh, redeploying uh, nuclear weapons. But um, it seems like with the uh, weekend's uh, security consultative meeting joint statement, it seems like they sort of met midway with the U.S. Um, deciding on the wording of constant deployment of strategic assets, mm-hmm. which is sometimes seen as an alternative, good enough alternative, from conservatives' point of view, um, uh, on alternative to um, redeploying nuclear weapons here.
0: Okay, so President Moon has changed his position a little bit. Uh, Yoon, President Yoon has changed his position a little bit uh, on that issue.
2: Right, he backtracked a little bit, and mm. he's sticking to it, it seems. And he sort of drew a line. When media uh, asked him, like, "Did you guys really talk about the tactical nuclear weapons thing with the PPP lawmakers?" He said, "No."
0: Okay, all right, uh, James, back to you now. Let's uh, keep talking about um, uh, North Korea's behavior, but now we're looking at uh, China and Russia, and and their possible um, stances on these things. Have we seen changes from China and Russia in terms of UN sanctions and pressure on North Korea?
3: Over the years, definitely. Um, So both China and Russia joined on to UN sanctions generally after North Korea conducted a nuclear test or launched a a long-range missile, that kind of thing. Um, But this spring, uh, China and Russia did not sign on to UN sanctions after North Korea launched its new uh, Hwasong-17 uh, intercontinental ballistic missile. Um, you know, so there are there are a few there are a few hints kind of leading up to that. Uh, you know, will they? Won't they sanction North Korea? Um, they've they've previously suggested loosening sanctions on North Korea, and one of the reasons was um, the humanitarian consequences it would have on the country. Mm. So humanitarian groups have sometimes complained uh, about the impact uh, that sanctions have on their work. So there is something to that. But this also comes, you know, uh, at the time where great power competition between the US, China and Russia over issues like Taiwan and Ukraine is heating up. So it seems like uh, it might be a a little bit of a situation of the enemy of my enemy is is my friend. Now, speaking of the Ukraine, Russia has accused South Korea
0: of sending weapons to Ukraine. It also asked a rhetorical question, how would you like it if Dot dot dot. So tell us about the the criticism and the rhetoric.
3: Now this was really quite interesting because uh, so it's uh, Russian pr- President Vladimir Putin said this, and uh, he says that he said that we know we know very confident that uh, South Korea has decided to send weapons and ammunition to Ukraine. Now South Korea has really gone out of its way to say, you no, know, we we're, have not. We're, we're sending humanitarian uh, mm. aid to Ukraine, but we are not sending the weapons. Um, it's really, you know, it said this uh, just shortly after the invasion of Ukraine, and the South Korean President Yoon also said that, um, you know, that we've we've not sent weapons to Ukraine. It wants to make this really clear. Um, it has made an, a a really big arms deal with Poland recently, um, but yeah, no direct weapons aid to Ukraine. But of course, you know, the the worrying thing from the South Korean perspective is that if if uh, whether or not South Korea has or has not sent weapons to Ukraine, if, if Russia thinks that it has, and the Russian president is rhetorically asking, you know, how would you like it if we, if we resumed uh, military cooperation with North Korea, then uh, obviously South Korea is going to be worried about that. Uh, you write in the uh, month in review that Russia and North
0: Korea have both been helping each other at the United Nations. How so and why is this significant?
3: Generally, whenever there's a UN statement, uh, resolution that's going to condemn Russia on its actions in Ukraine, um, North Korea will vote against it and it will support Russia. It's going to be one of the, uh, really handful of countries that is, uh, n- not just, you know, refusing to vote, but actually actively supporting Russia in that domain. And, uh, you know in return uh Russia is also seems to not be supporting sanctions resolutions um China has also been uh supporting North Korea at the UN to um some extent um but it recently uh there was a resolution condemning North Korea's previous nuclear tests mm-hmm. and um China voted you know to to include this paragraph whereas Russia didn't vote so there was you know some uh, interesting looks at that. Does this mean that you know China is being harsher on North Korea than than Russia? And uh, you know, we'll 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 have to wait and see. But generally speaking, at the UN, yes, uh, China and Russia are being much softer right. um, than they used to be.
0: During uh, China's recent party congress uh, in
3: October, did North Korea fire any missiles? No missiles. Um, and you know there was a lot of speculation whether they would fire missiles leading up to that con- uh, the party congress whether they'd even do a nuclear test mm. um, obviously you know um relations between china and north korea have improved a lot so uh, since the last nuclear test so there were there were many people saying well you know north korea will probably keep things quiet during the congress because it's xi jinping's big moment he wants to look like he's he's in control he's doing a great job Mm -hmm. as he's going into his third term but uh, of course North Korea there were a lot of tensions on the 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 peninsula the US and South Korea were conducting uh, military drills and it seemed that it was it was this cycle of escalation that uh, you know Jongmin spoke earlier about Mm. this but you know the, the North Korea launches some missiles, and the U.S. and South Korea respond with military drills, and then North Korea feels like it has to react in a way it can't back down. So we thought possibly North Korea will will do something, but but no no missiles this time. South Korean intelligence though has um, it predicted a while ago that 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 they're perhaps. Um, might be a nuclear test sometime between the end of the Congress Mm -hmm. and before the um, US midterm elections, which are... Which are
0: tomorrow, well... Tuesday, America time, uh, Wednesday, Korea yeah. time.
3: So depending on when this podcast comes out, I mm. mean... It'll come uh, out Tuesday afternoon, yeah. Korea time. Yeah. So this is what a lawmaker said, so I should clarify, okay. based on his meeting with um, intelligence. But uh, yeah, so that's why the Party Congress was, was so important. Watch this
0: space. How was the uh, Party Congress reported in North Korean media? Did it get a lot of uh, photos and uh,
3: write-ups? Uh, it got an entire page devoted to it in um, the... Uh, ruling party daily rodong shinmun which is not a thick paper by any means so it's uh (laughs) so a full page is a big deal indeed um and there were lots of reports on all the uh the messages that north uh, that kim jong-un and xi jinping exchanged around that time so um yeah it was it was a big deal lots of um you know language of praise for for china
0: Now, what kind of verbal pressure did Beijing put on Washington in regards to U.S. military exercises and uh, joint exercises, combined exercises, and responding to uh, North Korean missiles that have been launched?
3: Well, as as I've said earlier, you know, China and Russia are being softer on North Korea, and at the same time, they're also telling the U.S. and South Korea um, that you guys are kind of responsible Mm -hmm. for raising tensions on the peninsula with with your military exercises. So, I think the image that um, China is trying to paint is perhaps that, yeah, we don't endorse the, the, the nuclear tests or the missile tests. But look, frankly, you guys also have to cut out the military exercises. And once you do that, and you can create this, this uh, positive environment for talks, and then maybe after that, we can, um, we can make some progress on, the, on issues on the peninsula.
0: What's the wider significance of China and Russia giving succor to North Korea like this?
3: Um, well, uh it's going to perhaps give North Korea an opportunity. It's gonna send the signal that, um, if we test missiles, then there's gonna be very little done about it, frankly. Mm-hmm. You know, there's lots of UN sanctions pressure on paper against North Korea. Um, but the unless these sanctions are properly implemented, then they're never going to be able to realise their true effect. And the vast majority of trade and whatever that goes into North Korea, it's all going to be coming through uh, China and Russia. So it really needs the international community, the US um, and its allies needs China and Russia on side. And um, if it's, if they're not going to get that support, then um, it's going to be a lot harder to leverage that
0: pressure. Mm, it all falls down. Now,
3: uh, the last couple of years, especially the last
0: eight months, have seen a lot of North Korea missile activity. However, we haven't seen a North Korea nuclear test since 2017. Um, that was the sixth test, and North Korea has been saying for a while now that it's it's preparing to test for a, getting ready for a seventh test, which may or may not happen before in the next 48 hours. But is it possible that China and Russia will continue to remain soft on North Korea, even if it tests its first nuclear device in five years?
3: I think absolutely. Um, we, you know, there's there's a lot of nuance in that. I mean, you could argue that even though China and Russia supported UNSC sanctions, uh, it voted for them after the last nuclear test. Well, did it really implement them properly? So, right. you know, does it even matter at the end of the day? Um, you know, if if even if China votes to support another round of UN SC sanctions, um, Russia, I would imagine, would probably veto it. They they've to be uh, going a bit further than than China in mm. um, supporting North Korea at, at the UN. Um, but yeah, absolutely, They there might not be sanctions in spring after the ICBM launch. They didn't support new sanctions, and they can cite things like. You know, uh, the the humanitarian impact, for example, they don't have to come out and say Mm. um, it's because we want to annoy the U.S. They can say we're not supporting this because of the adverse effects and also because it's South Korea and the U.S.'s fault for their military drills, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, don't expect a a strong response from China and, and Russia on this one.
0: Thank you very much, James Fredwell. Turning now to Shreyas, in another story reported by you, North Korea released a 31-page propaganda booklet in the Korean language, which was uh, then digitized and stuck up on its website Uriminzokkiri, which it uses to target South Koreans. What's the message of that booklet?
1: Well, the message in itself, the core message is perhaps not all that new in that it reiterated old claims blaming South Korea for bringing uh, COVID into the uh, North uh, and particularly uh, defectors who are uh, defect activists based in the south. It blamed them uh, for sending COVID in through uh, leaflets and balloon launches uh, across the border. These are claims that North Korea has effectively made earlier this year as well. Uh, So in that sense, it's nothing new, but it was perhaps the format that it used uh, the booklet and one that was specifically clearly aimed at South Koreans mm. in given the uh, manner in which it was distributed and as usual it also went and took that a little further when you have 31 pages you can expand on that yeah. to go ahead and criticize South Korean conservatives another old target as well as the US for their history of psychological warfare as the booklet put it
0: H- Have you read um, all or part of the booklet?
1: Uh, I did read all the, all the booklet. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, uh, kudos to you for for pushing your way through that. Uh, but it, I'm just thinking. It reminds me of uh, during the Korean War uh, in the the winter of 1950 51, the Soviet Union and North Korea and and uh, China raised these allegations of germ warfare and accused the United States of dropping um, flies and mosquitoes and other insects in bomb canisters, uh, and these insects were uh, supposedly carrying. I can't remember whether it was cholera or anthrax or whatever it was, diphtheria, something or other. Uh, and somehow these bombs were supposed to have fallen from a great height from planes, hit the earth, uh, and, and still been effective as a, a way of spreading mass disease. It, it seemed ridiculous then, and it seems ridiculous now that um, the COVID, vax, uh, COVID disease could be spread by, what, leaflets and dollar bills and USB sticks and, and masks. Uh did the booklet that you read actually mention uh, germ warfare germ warfare during the Korean War?
1: In fact, it did mention the, huh. the U.S. history of, uh, uh, as it called, psychological warfare. So it included the bombing during the Korean War and uh, the uh, uh, spraying of leaflets and all during the Korean War, as well as uh, the Persian the Gulf War in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So it uh, it brought these up uh, to sh- uh, indicate that. As far as North Korea is concerned, the U.S. is the pioneer when it comes to right. psychological warfare through these leaflets, and that effectively South Korea is just uh, taking up those particular tactics now.
0: And what did it, the, uh, the booklet say specifically about North Korean defector Park Sang-hak uh, from Fighters for a Free North Korea, prominent for sending balloons in the direction of North Korea that uh, strongly criticized Kim Jong-un?
1: Well, it uh, called him human scum. Mm. Uh, This is perhaps not a new uh, term. They've effectively uh, labeled him and other defector activists uh, dregs of society in the Mm. past as well. Uh, So they're effectively targeting him uh, for continuing to uh, fly, uh, fly leaflets across the border, including recently, even after... Uh, the Unification Government, uh, rather the Unification Ministry, uh, asked act- defectors to uh, activists to stop sending leaflets across the border as well. Right. Uh, so the in this particular case, the booklet highlighted opposition to Park Sanghak hak even within South Korea. Mm. Uh, so uh, as well as an attack that took place on him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and just oh, did you mention that attack? They did mention it briefly, wow, okay. but in, they were largely focused on the criticism of him and opposition within South Korea.
0: Yes, now there was something in the booklet that suggested a possible common cause and maybe even sharing of information with a South Korean minority left-wing party. Could you tell us about that, please?
1: Right, so they mentioned, so the booklet mentioned uh, that the minority left-wing progressive party, mm-hmm. uh, the Jinbodang, uh,
0: Which doesn't currently have any seats in the National Assembly, does it? No, it okay. does not.
1: So they cited the progressive party's criticism of uh, Pak Sanghak mm-hmm. and the leaflets in general. Uh, and it was an interesting note because as you point out, this is a party that does not have any seats in parliament. It's effectively, uh, its influence is very limited. Mm. So there were... Questions: Why would they cite this one party in particular? It's not like others have not criticized the leaflets in the past, right? Uh, but and so we spoke to an expert who did highlight that in the past uh, people have uh, tried to draw links between North Korea and this particular party, uh, which we cannot put, say with any certainty. But no. certainly, it is quite interesting to note that North Korea decided to highlight this otherwise minor parties' Mm. uh, influence in this case.
0: And I guess it's probably, would you say that it's fair to say that in the spectrum of left and right-wing politics in South Korea, uh, if any people in South Korea are reading the Uri Kiri website, which is targeting, you know, it's North Korean propaganda, but it's externally focused, it's targeting South Koreans and Koreans outside North Korea. Uh, If anybody is reading that website, uh, it would be people closer to the progressive party on the political spectrum than say the People's Power Party or any of the the right wing YouTubers, for example,
1: it is certainly likely. I mean, essentially, you are li- uh, uh, at the very least, it will. It's more likely to be people who ha- sympathize to some mm. extent with North Korea or uh, have at least uh, want to have stronger relations with North Korea, and often are likely to parrot those ta- talking points. It isn't something that would necessarily still be within the centrist side of the uh, progressive si- mm. uh, side, but the further, uh, the more, when you get to a stage where you have closer links to North Korea than, uh, or are more likely to support them, then it would certainly appeal to them.
0: Mm. Does the booklet say that there's any international support? For North Korea's claims that the novel coronavirus outbreak was caused by objects, uh, infected objects, including leaflets brought into North Korea? Uh,
1: yes. So the booklet cites uh, the support from, at least for its claims, from oh. Russia's ambassador to North Korea, hmm. who gave an interview to a Russian outlet earlier this year. And uh, later, that particular interview was also reprinted by. Uh, state-owned agency, uh, the Korean Central News Agency, and it also cites uh, the Syrian government. Again, uh, the statement from the Syrian government uh, foreign ministry mm-hmm. uh, was published by KCNA, uh, same as the Russian ambassador's interview. So it kind of again went back to that, uh, went uh, went back to that well and tried to. Uh, bring up those old talking points mm. uh, while trying to reiterate it from North Korea's side.
0: But generally, uh, globally, that's an idea that's not supported by the World Health Organization, is it?
1: Uh, certainly not. Although the booklet, again, it did kind of uh, claim WHO uh, had some uh, had supported the idea that COVID could persist on uh, physical objects such as tables or leaflets or mm. whatever. Uh, but essentially, that is something that. It th- that feels a little disingenuous because that is something that since the early days when these series were flying around, there have been lots of studies on it yeah. and as of now certainly the widely held medical belief is that it, it certainly does not last long enough on mm. surfaces f- to be able to uh, st- uh, tra- uh, increase transmission.
0: Okay, thank you very much, Shreyas. Okay, everybody, quick final thoughts,
3: prediction stories to come. What are you watching in the next few days? Well, of course, we're watching the nuclear test, which uh, has been predicted for a while. But I'm also watching. Um, if you remember, in September, North uh, uh, Kim Jong Un. No, that's a world a- away. No, <laughs> uh, Kim Jong Un gave a speech, um, and the language is very vague. But he he kind of suggested that the country would begin a COVID vaccination campaign ah. around November. And we're recording this on Monday, November the 7th. And we've not heard anything from North Korean state media on that. Um, there have been some daily NK reports citing, uh, you know, unnamed sources that have reported on vaccinations going on in various places in the country. But uh, of course, that would be a really big thing. So that's that's mm. something that um, I'm definitely going to be looking at over the next month.
0: Okay. Well, winter, as they say on a show that I never watched, uh, is coming. So uh, now is probably a good time to think about getting vaccinated for COVID, if you're not already vaccinated. Uh, jong what do you got your eye on?
2: Uh, for me, uh, I think it was a little bit overshadowed over all the North Korean missile tests, but there were faulty South Korean missiles mm. Um, explosions and crash landing and losing contact with the radar and so on and so forth. So I think it puts uh, the whole kill chain and Korea mm. air uh, and missile defense system into question. So I'm looking at the potential space of increasing criticisms against like whether or not South Korean missile defense is really reliable um, and also whether or not South Korean conservatives will um, continue their arguments about, uh, although it's a constant deployment of strategic assets, we still need tactical nuclear weapons if that's going to go anywhere, that discussion. And I'll be looking
0: for the story to come, uh, which may be out by the time this podcast is up, about the uh, 150 or 180 or 500 North Korean fully-fueled jet air fighters up there.
2: We'll do our best.
0: Fascinating. Okay. And Shrez, what have you got your eye on?
2: Well...
1: Coincidentally, I am going to be looking at those North Korean jet fighters Ah. and trying to follow up on uh, trying to see what are North Korea's actual capabilities in that area and how uh, well placed is their air force to be able to keep doing things like these. Right. And other than that, uh, later this week, uh, we're likely to there's talk of a potential trilateral summit between the leaders of the U.S., Japan, and South Korea on the sidelines of the ASEAN summit. Uh-huh. So we'll look to see whether anything comes out of that, particularly given the last week's uh, escalations.
0: Okay, that could be interesting to watch. Well, thank you very much, Chongmin, Kim, Shreyas Reddy, and James Fretwell for joining me on this monthly podcast roundtable. Ladies and gentlemen, if you already have an NK News account and if you're a think tank business or academic institution, take a look at our NK Pro Our NK Pro platform offers unparalleled services, specifically catering to the needs of professionals who monitor developments on the Korean Peninsula. There is also another service, Korea Pro. Jongmin, you're a big part of that, aren't you?
2: Yes, I am. Right,
0: Korea Pro focusing on uh, news from South Korea, uh, better than the English language media here in South Korea. Is it not what you say
2: yourself? It is true.
0: Excellent. So people can inquire about access and a free trial membership by sending an email to membership at nknews.org today. Our thanks as always go to Brian Betts and Arius Dare for facilitating this episode and to our post-recording producer genius Gabby Magnuson who cuts out all the extraneous noises, awkward silences uh, and sneezes. Thank you very much for listening again next time. Bye-bye.